You're listening to Hayes Radio Network, Cannabis Lifestyle Radio. All right, we're going to jump right into another episode. Welcome to those who have caught up with us before, to those that are first-time listeners. This is Cure to Consumption. Yeah, myself, Lance Lambert, and my wonderful co-host, Mia Jane. Hey guys, how's it going? <laughs> we are here yet another week, and definitely good conversations last time, good conversations we had today. A lot going on in the world, in the industry, and uh, one thing that we did want to incorporate into our weekly shows was getting some guests on. And the first one I'm pretty excited for, uh, he'll be calling in just a few minutes to give a little bit of background. Uh, another individual that's pretty dominant in the social media space. His name is Jonathan, AKA Weedstagram416, based out of Toronto, Canada. And a uh, little bit of background, we met, funny story, was at uh, a Lyft Expo, which uh, for those that aren't familiar, Lyft is pretty much like the MJ Biz or NCIA, if you will, of Canada, of our friends in the great north. So they um, they have an event twice a year, once in Vancouver, which is extremely expensive, my gosh, even in, in uh, exchange, and uh, the other is in Toronto. So we were out, I want to say it was about three or four years ago now, maybe three years, and uh, this gentleman comes walking in, young guy, and he has a camera on a stick, right? The selfie stick. Yes. Yep. But like a like a like a I guess it's a single monopod. Oh, okay. <laughs> you Fancy. know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, right? nice. And so he just kind of goes, Hey, do you mind if I do this? And I'm like, Yeah, sure. And he kind of puts it right in the middle of our booth because we were right by the entrance to the show. We got hooked up. Great, great organizers up there. And um he proceeds to do this three sixty and uh you know, his kind of shtick early on was doing, um, you know, the custom, which I, I, you know, several people do. I've run into guys in Germany and in over in, in England, but uh, they do almost like the paper mache joints, right? So mm -hmm. the, mm -hmm. the creative ones. rolling. Yes, yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. Is that the PC, the creative rolling? That's and, what they called it in Colorado. That, okay. so. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, he was doing creative rolling. He said, oh, I'll do a turtle for you. I'll be right back. Oh, cool. Anyway, so yeah, that's how we met. And, um, you know, when he's holding this stick in the middle of our of our booth, I was like, you know, is, is this what you do? And he's like, no, I'm just, I'm thinking about getting into it. I'm like, just do it. I'm like, dude, you've got the personality. Obviously, you've got the wit. He has the know-how. He's one of the few guys I know, especially um, more forward-facing, more in the social media. And space. he's on. Oh, is he on? Are you on, my man? Am I on? You're on. <laughs> I know. Is that, I'm on. You, you're on, man. Hello, hello. <laughs> well, that means I'm here. So, therefore, I am. Cool. What is up, man? I want to introduce you really quick before we jump right into it to uh, Mia Jane, who is my co-host here on Cure to Consumption. This is Jonathan, a.k.a. Weedstagram. Hey, Jonathan. Happy Hola. to have you on the show today. Welcome. Thanks. How's it going? Good, good. Happy to have another um, cannabis influencer on the show today. So uh, excited to hear what uh, you've got to tell us about Canada. So very interesting oh, market. Canada. <laughs> oh, Canada. Oh, Canada. Good way to put it. 
So yeah, man. So <laughs> what is new? Right. My gosh, I was just telling the backstory of how we first met. So I was going back to oh, uh, okay. Lyft Vancouver and the 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 three sixty stick that you. <laughs> I'm sure you have a better name for it, man. The three sixty yeah, stick. Yeah, man. The three sixty camera. The good times. <laughs> those were those were the good old days. Oh you know, my The gosh. irony of it all is, is recently some guy came up to me and he's like, "Hey, man, could I take a three sixty photo? I'm just looking at getting into this." I was like, "Oh, oh no. my gosh." <laughs> Yo, let me tell you a little story. <laughs> yeah, I, no, I didn't even start. Oh my like, god! Cool, sure. That is too <laughs> Never cool. Never seen one of these before, right? <laughs> and man, it's and we we've been through so much, and you know, just to share with our listeners, uh, like I was sharing, you know, Jonathan and I first met up out in Vancouver several years ago now, and. Um, you know, I was just really impressed. You know, Jonathan, I was just telling Mia, you know, you're one of the few individuals that, you know, you, you've done it from from seed to consumption, really. I mean, you've you've grown a phenomenal growing. My gosh, anyone that doesn't follow uh, Jonathan, be sure to Weedstagram416 uh, underscore. Underscore now. Instagram underscore, underscore now, which we'll get into that. We'll get into that, man. Cause I still, I still feel bad. I still think of you all the time about what went down there. But, um, if, if you guys haven't come across him, my gosh, like not only does he grow and does a phenomenal job with this outdoor canopy on a rooftop in, in Toronto of all places, but he, he knows how to, how to, you know, dry it, cure it, store it, squeeze it, I mean, the concentrates, so, the capsules. Uh, you guys are in California where people are pulling <laughs> eight pounds of plant in, you know, in the ground. Oh, my and, gosh. Uh, you know, I think I did pretty well for a rooftop grow in, you know, our shitty Canadian summer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. But, I mean, on top of that, the ladies just looked phenomenal. That's the thing is you, you kept you. them Thank squatty. You. you do a really good job flat topping. and. You really let them just kind of grow and, and fill out while still keeping them somewhat Well, and dwarf. I got really lucky that I had this amazing sponsor come on board, the Scrog Shop, and they built me these amazing custom Scrog Nets. Oh, I uh, saw and those. structures, and, you know, we really trained those plants as much as you could possibly train them. It was great. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, so man. If people are interested, they can still check out the legacy of the grow uh, by checking out Leafly's article on it. Um, oh, no way. They just... Yeah, if they just search for Leafly and uh, Hirsch, H-I-R-S-H, my last name, it will come up. Nice. Oh, my gosh. That is too cool, I'll man. Have to check I, that out. That's awesome. Yeah, I didn't even know <laughs> Leafly was fi- – I thought it was just me and, and, you know, obviously your standard followers. But, my gosh, that is too cool. Yeah, man. Man. yeah they, they documented the grow and – uh, you know, we kind of walked people through what I did and how they could do it themselves. Oh, that's epic. That's epic. And well, that's another thing. It's a really good segue, Jonathan. And that's why I think, you know, when we hit it off back in the beginning and even when, uh, you know, we worked together, you were really a great brand ambassador to Bovida. You're like me, you know, you're medical first and, and all about educating, which still for the record, all the times we hung out up in Canada, Hey, you want to go medicate? I'm like, what is he? Oh, that's right. But, but man, that, well, you know, you got to medicate and medicate and, uh, medicate them. I like that too. But that was my point is you are an educator. I mean, that's one thing that, um, in, in full disclosure, you know, we've, my God, dude, we've been across Canada and U S shows together. We also, um, you came out for Spanibus. We had you out Spanibus, uh, obviously not last year, but the year before. So he came out to <laughs> Barcelona and, but man, that's, that's the cool thing is that you, the, the conversations you have, 
Um, they're very educational. They're very motivational, but they're not pushy. They're not know-it-all either. That's the thing I like. Like you definitely have your opinion, which some people have been critical of, you know, because you, <laughs> are, so, you are so forward with your opinion, but it's just that it's an opinion. I mean, if, if you want to be a complacent and conformant, you probably wouldn't be doing exactly what you're doing in the industry, but you know, what well, you're doing okay. is great. So let's, let's start with absolutely. I'm all about education. I mean, I'm currently teaching cannabis in society, which is basically a brief look at the history and you know, uh, effects on society of cannabis in this new legalization that we live in. Um, so, yeah, I'm all about educating, whether it's in a school setting or whether it's in uh, an everyday setting, just hanging out with people and chatting. So, absolutely. Yeah. Um, education is number one in my focus of what I do, uh, whether it's from growing to squishing rosin, you know, no matter what people want to learn, I'm always there to help them. And if I don't have the answer, uh, generally, I'll just point them in the direction of someone who does. That's so cool and so important, too. You seem like you have a very well-rounded um, uh, bit of knowledge to share with everyone. So thank you for doing your part to help educate, Jonathan. That's so key, especially as we continue to help legalize around yeah, the world. You know, so. but, yep. but to answer Lance's other point, you know, about the whole, uh, you know, being fairly opinionated, I think what's funny about that is, is that <clears throat> if we look at, the opinions that have drove the cannabis industry uh, since it's become quote unquote legal. I think one of the biggest flaws is the opinions in the room are those who do really have a relationship with the product. Yeah. And yeah. we see this in every industry. This isn't unique to cannabis, right? I come from the media side of things and, you know, film and television. There's always a lot of people in the room with opinions who really have never made a film or TV show in their life. And I find that still reflected in the cannabis space uh, since legalization. And my hope is that by people like myself who have a relationship with the plant, uh, raising up their opinions and being extremely vocal about them, uh, people will start to see that uh, the information we're yelling from the rafters is correct. Yeah, that's very true. And it's collective, right? I mean, that's one thing that... You know, you and I both have been, again, to shows where we've come up with those constructive conversations, um, either on the floor or, you know, in a panel. And I think that's the thing is it's it's very collective. It's very community. And um, some people don't, you know, have all the insights. And I don't think we have all the answers in general. I mean, even going over to Israel for, for Canatech and meeting the, the scientists and doctors over there that are studying this plant, which is phenomenal how they're they're studying it and finding, you know, certain cannabinoids help counter certain cancer cells, things like that, that are just next level. But even those guys are going, Hey, we're just figuring it out. You know, we're just digging in into this plant because it's such an enigma and it is so dynamic. So it's very Absolutely. cool. Very cool. Well, and you were doing, and I know because of COVID things changed in Canada just as they did down stateside, but um, you were actually teaching at, at the local college too. I mean, this is something oh, no, no, that's your point. Oh, you still, still are. Uh, oh, now we're on Zoom. Oh, <laughs> <Nice>. gotcha. <laughs> yes, I teach at Centennial College here in Toronto. Uh, as I was mentioning, it's a cannabis um, history and society course. Yeah, yeah. But that's just so people know, like that literally is a local college. Yeah, I think it's props to Canada, right? Because Canada, just like Mexico and in Israel and other countries, you know, they actually don't keep this plant in a closet. Like it's not so taboo or so much of a stigma anymore they're saying no we need to study and we need to you know be grown-ups about it so i think well, it's you awesome. know and like there's people who come to canada from all over the world now right yeah. to study and well and i'm not now forever 
But recently, <laughs> there's an influx of international students who now have to interact with legal cannabis here in Canada. And maybe in their home country, it's not legal. And so one of the things I'm finding from a lot of my students is that there is a lot of hesitancy to, one, tell their parents that they've enrolled in a history of cannabis course, uh, yeah. depending on where they're from, right? You know, And uh, by the end of it, some of these students are telling me, you know, oh, I had this amazing conversation with my parents, and they're asking me, where's the honeypot? <laughs> <laughs> That's classic. Oh, That's by the classic. way, the honeypot's a local dispensary. Yep, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's too cool, man. Well, yeah, and you're right. I mean, it is those conversations, and we've talked about this, you know, especially in travels, no matter if it's an Uber driver, flight attendant. I mean, I've had some conversations with individuals that I find when, um, and I never push it. I, I think there's some people that, you know, are very much in your face about it. And I remember certain individuals wearing, you know, the, the cannabis, you know, costumes and, and suits and stuff <laughs> in the early years of, of legalization. But, um, you know, if someone asks what I'm in town for and I say a convention, they ask what kind of convention I tell them. And it's so funny when it's a one on one in me, you can probably relate, right? You Absolutely. live you live in L.A. I live in the <laughs> suburbs. I'm up above Malibu. She lives like in the heart of it. And uh, I'm sure you have all kinds of conversations where when they find out what you're into and, and what your focus is professionally, uh, that they seem to feel really comfortable having those conversations that I think so many millions of Americans, and to your point, individuals around the world really want to ask, you know, what, what is CBD and how is CBD different than THC? And, you know, how, do, how does it compare to consuming alcohol or consuming, you know, other controlled substances? Yeah, people are so curious yeah. and they, they really just open up as soon as they find out that you're yeah. on, on the cannabis team. They're like, okay, so this is my, my chance to ask all the questions. And yeah, they definitely right? try to get as much knowledge out of me as possible. But I love that, you know, I tell people I'm a cannabis tour guide and then all of a sudden their eyes brighten and they're like, oh, so I can ask you all of these things and I know I'll get a good answer because you actually know what you're talking about. You're not yeah. just some random person at a shop that I just met who's trying to sell me, you know, whatever the, the hot product of the month is. So oh it's gosh. really cool being in the industry. And I think you just nailed it. So that, that, I think, is the biggest problem. And I, I mean, I think pre-California's recreational uh, experiment that you guys have going on there, and I spent a lot of time in California. You did. You I, lived down here in SoCal for a minute. I did. And I... Shout out to my old haunts. Uh, kind Meds was definitely one of the all-time favorites in Ventura. Oh, cool. Good guys. Um, yeah. But, you know, and they had California's first dab bar. I don't know if people knew that in 2005. Yeah. Uh, and then it very much disappeared in 2006. <laughs> but that said. Uh, oh, my gosh. Uh, you know, like, um, it's, it's a marketing problem, right? When the consumer walks into the store and can't smell, touch, or experience the product by with which they need to buy and have no brand relationships with them, we're still to this day seeing um, bud tenders essentially become marketers for the companies with which they're selling for. Yes, uh, As opposed to experts. Yep. And that's, you make a really good point, Jonathan, because as much as I've felt, and, and we want to get into this as well, you know, how Canada has treated legalization, because just like California, just just like many places in the U.S., for those that don't know, Canada did have a medical program prior to having an adult use program. So um, it wasn't necessarily uncharted waters, but it was a little Wild West, similar to what we had in California, because like you point out, Jonathan, although we, we did pass Prop 215 for medical use statewide in 1996. Technically, Prop P in San Francisco passed back in 1990, um, you know, thanks to Brownie Mary and friends, you know, who were really standing up for those that needed this as medicine, HIV, AIDS, 
uh, cancer survivors, mm-hmm. et cetera. But to your point, um, and it's funny you mentioned 0506. I talked to friends back up on the hill in NorCal, and they're like, oh, my God, those were the heydays. We are getting all the money per pound. I mean, it was the cockroachification of California. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, in, in a lot of similarities, too, right? Because we still have 80, 80% plus of production going to illicit market here. And oh, we keep I just seeing stories. And there's just so many dispensaries. Oh, I know. <laughs> well, and that's no. It's about. it's a good. To- I segued because to your point, and, and Mia can validate this. Is you know the topography has changed so much in LA because so many of those what we used to call gray market, but mm-hmm. honestly now with Prop 215 going away, it's it's pretty black and white, literally and metaphorically speaking, uh, mm-hmm. to the new world order. And it is unfortunate because a lot of those still exist. But the point being is when four out of five pounds being produced are going to the illicit market, which again, what we keep seeing in articles and stories about Canada is, is there's still a heavy illicit, you know, and there's a home grow, I know oh, there absolutely. too. But, I mean, right? Lance, I think the biggest mistake anyone ever made in the cannabis industry was thinking that the Canacurious were a good market to create products for. That was the biggest error in judgment that we had, right? When we look at uh, who makes the biggest sales, it's the 2% of consumers who are consuming 98% of the cannabis, right? And unless you can get them to come and buy your product, you're in big trouble. Uh, And, you know, in California, you have that, right? You've had enough time to convince those canna connoisseurs that the legal market isn't that horrible. It's not everybody, but you've convinced a good chunk of them. Right. Yeah. Versus here in Canada, we're having a harder time. But let me tell you, the product is starting to get better. Yeah, very true. And that's the biggest problem. Right. It's like you can only uh, lie to people so many times before they tell you no. Right. Yeah. And what's <laughs> cool is, is unlike in California, where you had the opposite problem. Right. You had fantastic products that now regulation is making it harder to get to. We had crap product that the regulation was easy to get to, and then they restricted it more and more and more. So but true. the product wasn't getting better. Now the product's better. And so the good news is, is that we're going to start to see uh, the legal market uh, share taking a larger chunk because the quality of the product is equal to that with which the canister would be willing to take, right? Very true. Um, the problem is there's no brand relationship yet. It's anyone's game, and uh, in the short term, I'm not sure how you solve that unless we change the rules around branding here. Yeah, and that's one thing, again, if the viewers aren't aware, um, I'm sure some in the Northwest who have probably jumped the border or those over on the East Coast, same thing up into you know, up into Niagara or, or into Ontario province, but uh, it, it's it's been a pretty uh, sterile market there, right? I mean, that's the one thing that was, it really surprised me because although it's adult use, and my gosh, let me tell you a quick story. It's just watching a YouTube <laughs> video about uh, Vancouver because I'm forever dreaming about leaving California again and moving <laughs> to the Northwest. <laughs> and so I was looking up Vancouver and, and it just so happened a Vancouver, BC, uh, you know, YouTube video came up versus Vancouver, Washington, which is where I was really looking. Mm-hmm. And um, anyway, so my friend's like, oh, I get that guy's not smoking a cigarette. I'm like, no, he's smoking a joint. He's like, well, but he's in public. And I'm like, yeah, you can smoke. I'm like, literally, you can you can finish a joint before you walk into the airport. 
in Toronto. Like wherever it's legal to consume tobacco, it's legal to consume cannabis. So you have that one side of it, which is dope as shit. I mean, that's not that I'm saying I haven't seen people walk down the streets of Oakland smoking next to cops because I, I have. You can, I've seen people walking <laughs> up to LAX. LAX. Yeah. Yeah. Same thing. <laughs> but the fact that you can't let literally no one can mess with you. But mm-hmm. then on the flip side of the coin, and we've had plenty of conversations about this, John, is, um, mm-hmm. is how restrictive, to your point, the marketing, like you couldn't even consider yourself an influencer. You're what they call an educator, right? So you can't be a brand ambassador. Yeah, so influencer. things are changing in terms of... The regulations are in shift right now, right? So they're yeah. in negotiations and discussions and consultations right now, okay? Uh, I don't know if the marketing side is going to lax. I really hope it will. With that said, um, enforcement has been nil, right? Okay. So, you know, they have these crazy laws, but the enforcement is very lax. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, and it seems like they've been a little more flexible too, right? Because I remember, wait, I mean, again, we're going a few years back, but it was like 59 LP, um, sorry, licensed producers, call them LPs, 59 LPs and then 67, then 100, then 108. I mean, the last I looked, there's like 217, but now we're kind of seeing this merger acquisition, merge and purge, like what are we going to do to exactly. survive but and move imagine forward? as the regulator, you have to not only deal with them, now you have to deal with the stores as well from a regulation yeah. standpoint. It's impossible, right, to regulate all these people with social media, with in-person media. Uh, they're trying very hard, don't get me wrong, to regulate yeah. people's marketing. And they're succeeding. Um, but I think the bigger problem is, is that social media platforms themselves don't want to see cannabis as a focus. Yeah, yeah. Although talking well, to Instagram, friends, Facebook, yeah, right? that well, a hundred percent. But then talking to friends, and, and you know, because like you, same thing. Jonathan came from media, specifically digital media. So a lot of friends that are still at Google and Facebook and Cisco, et cetera. And it's interesting because like they're ready to flip the switch. That's what shitty is. Like, yeah, they're conforming to the feds because the last thing they want is you know the FCC or, or someone to pursue them. But the crazy part is, and I remember this uh, right before I started at Weed Maps. Uh, you know, I had a friend that was from that industry and he's like, okay, what are your options? I'm like, well, you know, Medicine Man Technologies gave me an offer, High Times gave me an offer, and Weed Maps, and all heading up their media uh, side of their business. And um, he was all, okay, so explain each one to me. I'm like, Medicine Man Technologies is a company, and, you know, vertically integrated, they're expanding. Mm-hmm. High Times, if you don't know, where have you been? <laughs> you know, and then, and then the last one is Weed Maps, and I explain how it's a dispensary finder. And he's like, well, wait. He's like, there are only one google update away from obsolete and it's such an interesting that just that one sentence i'm like he is so spot on because there's a few dispensaries on on google but obviously they're they're kind of holding back the algorithm's kind of letting it like i actually believe it or not saw you know because i was obviously running media greenflower which was an education i saw another education company is able to somehow get uh, google adwords which really surprised me because scm is just not in the vernacular for for cannabis companies so you're saying that things are definitely kind of shifting and, and it seems for the better, at least north of the border up there. Well, they're pushing the border now. Uh, pushing the border. They're pushing <laughs> the edge. You know, the companies themselves are sort of saying enough's enough. We have to be able to market ourselves. So they're yeah. trying. But, you know, the biggest problem is, is if you walk into a retail store and you see a sea of white labeled bottles yep. and the bud tenders <laughs> themselves are just sales agents, which they are. Uh, how do you know what to buy as the consumer? So I'll tell you this. I have only recently, we're what, three years into legalization, only recently have I tried one bud where I went, wow, this is fantastic. (laughs) 
and and repeatedly so. I I bought it again, and and it was good twice. Wow. And so that should say something, you know? And uh, shout out to Citizen Stash. Their Sunset Sherbet's fantastic, right? Yep. Uh, with that said, I don't know what to say. I mean, we have this amazing opportunity here in Canada, this head start, but it's almost like we've let it slip. Yeah, yeah, I have to agree. I have to say that's true. I mean, you know, we heard all the, and I'm sure we did too, you know, heard all the rumblings way back when, you know, adult use came in up there and it's like, oh God, Canada is going to take over the world. I mean, if this were, you know, a, a game of Monopoly or or something. I mean, definitely they would have already had Park Place under their belt because to your point, I mean, it's not just a G20. You guys are a G, what, you're a G11? G7. That's right, G7 country. But but, but to be I mean, frank, we <laughs> did kind of, when when you look at it from a big picture, I mean, look at what happened with Canopy this past, right? I think it was oh, week. Yeah. Right? They're yeah. suing a company for a patent. Mm-hmm. I think this may be one of the first uh, cases like that. Yeah, well, for the uh, was it CO2, CO2, uh, yeah, CO2, yeah, CO2 extraction, right? Yeah, yeah they're, they're claiming that they were the first ones, but yeah. they they bought that patent for a dollar yeah. from from someone else. So right. there's, there's some but ulterior they, but motives there. But it doesn't there. matter, right? Like you could buy a patent for a dollar. The point is, is they have the money to enforce it because of their situation. Yeah, right? but, the look, problem is, is they don't make any money because they grow really crap cannabis. So they're going to be looking <laughs> for every angle in the universe to make as much money as humanly possible, right? This is what's going on. They're trying for sure, but uh, I think that they're up against against GW, and it'll be an interesting uh, fight to see who wins that one, to say the least. So, And, and, and I'll tell you right super now. super interesting, but knowing who backs Canopy and knowing how much money they have in cash, I don't know. I, I, think it's a, I think it's an easy win for them. Man, if you, I don't know how familiar you are though, because that is a good point. Mia makes about GW Pharmaceuticals, which is oh, the I know who GW is largest exporter cannabis. of medical cannabis in the world in freaking England, which is still the biggest catch twenty two constellation brands. They're an alcohol brand, bro. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. <laughs> but alcohol or pharmaceutical, who who plays dirtier and has bigger lawyers? You know, Very at least true. in the U.S., it's always pharma. Pharma is always like, well, uh, but which, also you pharma is behind canopy too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true. The, yeah, the point is, is, they have a lot. Lot of lawyers, and they yeah, have a lot yeah. of money, and they have a lot of ambition. Yeah, um, and they're not making any money making cannabis, so they're going to definitely try to protect any patent they have. Well, it's the same um, that someone what they just uh, some jackass down here, and I don't, I'm not embarrassed in saying that. I think he's in L.A. Right, that uh, got the trademark on cannabinoid. Was it really the cannabinoid guy? Yeah, yeah, and it's yeah. like mm-hmm. seriously. First off, what was the U.S. government thinking? I mean. They never patent ambiguous terms, which that is a general term, although be it a description, you know, but it is yeah, situations. Trademarks are usually uh, very specific. Yeah. Yeah. In use. But crazy, but man. anyway, yeah. I'll, I'll leave you on a good note on Canada <laughs> because I think we do have to have a good note. Yeah. Extracts are coming up. Yes. I'm let's talk about. incredibly surprised with the quality and availability of extracts here in Canada, which a year ago... I would have laughed in your face if you said, are there going to be oh anything God. good on the market? Well, because you guys, and this is what cracked me up because I was starting to coin the term a few years ago, like the whole, I'm, I'm all just wait for cannabis 2.0. And my reference to cannabis 2.0 was, and again, John, you and I were so on the same page, was in reference to the evolution of people understanding their terpene profile versus the, well, which are you, indica or, or sativa, which is so, not only is it is it 
it's just juvenile. It just it doesn't even make sense in this day and age. 80, 90 percent of product is hybrid, you know, let alone yeah. being able to find a true land race. Right. So the whole indica sativa, I don't care. But like, what are you? I'm more of a myrcene and, and a lemnine kind of person. You know, I mean, it's more of a pinene maybe kind of person. But knowing because, you know, terpenes really are the steering wheel if the cannabinoids are the engine. So I always reference, OK, just wait till Canvas 2.0 when people really wake up and realize the full you know, dynamic of this plant. And then I went up to Canada and I remember everyone's talking about I'm like, yeah, it's talking about Canvas 2.0. They're like, oh, we're talking about concentrates because you guys did. And I think we've discussed this before. But it's good to talk on, on the, the radio show about it. You guys did a two-phase launch, so it was... Yeah, we started with flour and edible oils. Yeah, for the first year. <laughs> then, yes, and then we moved on to uh, very low-dose edibles and extremely low-dose beverages and topical tinctures and concentrates. And the beverages, I've been hearing, you know, unfortunately, like negative press, but, oh, you know, beverages didn't take off like they think. They're not as much as a hit as realized. Well, yada, I mean, yada. Okay, so the quick version of the beverage conversation is very simple. Statistics. Why would anyone ever ignore statistics? You know, it makes no sense to me. We had very viable statistics coming out of California, Colorado, uh, and other legal uh, recreational sales states, right? Mm -hmm. Where we know that beverages are a very low-selling product category. I think they're like less than 3% of all products sold in America right now. Um, why they thought that we had a different uh, customer base here in Canada when we love McDonald's just as much as y'all do, right? Like yeah. it made no sense. <laughs> and you did love Tim Hortons until an American company bought it. <laughs> <laughs> I still love my Timmy Hose. I do too. Right. I like Timmy Hose better than Dunkin' any day. <laughs> but, no, give me a Dunkin' cinnamon sugar. Oh. Oh. Thing, I'll be happy. There you go. But seriously, it, you know, it comes down to a bunch of marketing people and a bunch of uh, pump and dump CEOs who saw an opportunity to take a low, low input cost and put it out at a high cost product. But unfortunately, if you look at it from all of the standpoints of the retailer, it's literally the worst product to stock, right? It takes up the most amount of space. You have to refrigerate it, so it costs you energy to store. It and, Okay, so this is important. So in Canada, you have a cart limit. So you can buy up to 30 grams of cannabis dried mm -hmm. or up to the equivalent in uh, other products, right? So if you buy six beverages, you're over your limit. Oh, jeez. Wow. <laughs> and if they're capped wow. at five milligrams a piece or 10 milligrams a piece, sorry, uh, you know, so now you've bought 60 milligrams of beverage. Great. You've got your weekend's worth. But, you know, as a store, that's the lowest profit margin item on your uh, sell sheet. Yeah. Yeah. It is an interesting one. And, and they can't buy anything else. It's not yeah. a loss leader. Right? Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. It it really it doesn't. Makes no sense. And I mean, I and I have to say, like, I am a beverage fan. Like, I've come around, especially because of COVID. I've come around to edible because I do, you know, and I usually dryer vape, you know, bust out the G pen or something or the Firefly. But um, I've switched more to, you know, I actually brought in some, which is by no way or no means fire, but I brought in <laughs> Mia some of my headstrong flour. If nothing else, you make edibles out of it. Um, like, there's products here in Canada that I can endorse from an edible or beverage standpoint. You know, for example, Tea God, you know, has a powder that you can infuse any beverage you want. 
You go to Starbucks, get your pumpkin spice latte. You want a little uh, zing added to it. You can just stir it in. No problem, right? I have no issue with that. Because if you want to put in 30 milligrams into your coffee, you can. You just put in three sachets. You're good to go. My problem is, it's like, who wants to drink, uh, you know, five Red Bulls to have their dose that they need? Nobody. Yeah. Well, I mean, it could also, you know, be argued that some people don't need 30 milligrams. They only need five or 10 milligrams. And I think it's probably safer in an emerging market. I know people that need a thousand milligrams just to feel anything and they're not even medical patients. Yeah, his name's Steve D'Angelo. I've hung out with him before. <laughs> oh my what it comes down to is, uh, is that not everyone has the same uptake, just like alcohol, right? I know some people, they can drink and drink and drink and drink and drink and they're not alcoholics. They're just people who have bad enzymes for digesting alcohol and i know some people i can't even drink a sip and they're done for three days the same thing happens with edibles though some people don't have the enzymes to actually absorb the thc with their liver so you know those people i feel for them they're spending way too much money on edibles trying to get high when they should probably just smoke a blunt or something or do a dab (laughs) but i've seen so many people overdo it on edibles like in california i i remember walking into the dispensary and being able to buy a one milligram mint or a thousand milligram chocolate bar. And that was your choice as an adult to regulate your decision-making process, right? That's all I think we should need here. You know, I don't think, you know, everyone needs more than one milligram. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And hopefully as the market matures, people will get educated with the help of people like everyone on the show today and many others about, you know, what dose is right for everyone is, is, a, is a non-existent thing. Everybody's different. Everybody's dose is different. And it really takes, um, you know, just figuring that out on your own. And uh, I hate to say it, but I've seen some uh, crazy things when people think they need that thousand milligram bar oh, and then, you know, having to talk them down or having them go to the hospital <laughs> or anything like that is just, it's not worth it. And having... Um, you know, it's... But I, I have a hypocritical thousand milligram chocolate bar story that we can end on. Okay. So <laughs> I was moving back from California to Toronto. <laughs> And I stopped in at Kind Meds and got myself a thousand milligram chocolate bar and I got to security and I um num num ate it all down and got on the plane and <laughs> sat down in my chair and you know, went to sleep and woke up and I asked the flight attendant, I was like, Oh my god, we're on the tarmac, we, you know, we're deboarding now. I slept through the entire flight. She goes, Oh no, hon. We just had a uh, we just had a six hour delay, and you slept through the entire thing. We had to deboard the plane. I remember you telling me that story. That's great. <laughs> oh my gosh! You slept no, well. Good. It sounds like it is. And that's it was but, a good sleep. Don't get man. me wrong. Yeah, and you'd come out of that you'd be okay. Whereas me, who I am, admittedly more of a microdoser. I, I remember I was visiting an old friend I grew up with up in NorCal, and we were in the city, and in where I was staying, it was kind of a louder side town. I was down by Union, and um, and so. You know, she's like, oh, here, you know, let me give you, I've got, uh, God, what was it at the Corova? Yeah, with the cow, with mm-hmm, the third eye, mm-hmm, right, Corova, yep. yes. And uh, <laughs> it was like, oh, I got this Corova double dark, you know, brown ears, like some high, po- it's definitely medical, what we mm-hmm. would now consider medical grade. And um, I swear to God, I only took like a bite at midnight and I could not get out of the bed until noon the next day. Wow. <laughs> I'm like, to your point, that's when I still kind of get uncomfortable with edibles because I was always a traditional consumer. Um, but I think me, again, does make a good point. You know, no matter the dosage, there are people that are being very cognizant of their health, especially amidst COVID. And they're just going, I just don't want to smoke. I mean, when you're talking about, uh, you know, um, a pandemic that the epicenter of this issue in this virus is, uh, you know, is lung base is, is uh, you know, uh, definitely going to take into account what people do and, and how they do it. 
And so, um, but having said that, sales have gone up. I mean, everywhere. That's what surprised. There's been record. Even um, Oregon had a record year last year. And I, of course, the first thing that popped to my head is like, well, because people don't want to come in contact with their drug dealer. They'd rather get it delivered to their house. I mean, there you go. Th there's things you don't <laughs> think about, but yeah, it kind of makes sense, right? All of a sudden, you don't want to hang out with Sketchy Sam and his dropped Honda Civic to buy an eighth <laughs> for 20 bucks. You feel safe for buying it for 45 to a guy that's going to deliver it in in a bag. By the way, it's been lab tested and has been fully hermetically sealed since it was, you know, cured. So sure. it definitely, it's, it's crazy times. Well, it's awesome <laughs> as always, Jonathan, you know, to catch up with you, man. And um, definitely love hearing what's going on north of the border because that does, again, that has influence on other markets. You know, Canada has definitely well, had absolutely. an influence. Definitely. I'm, influence. What I'm excited for is to see you guys start influencing us. Come on. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Well, you know what, man? And that's what I love about going back to Vancouver, B.C., Man, and, and we've been out there together, too, a few times now. And uh, I love how strong the culture and craft is and how it kind of mirrors what's going on on the West Coast down here. And I find, uh, you know, this, and we, I think we've talked about this, too. We talk about all this stuff. But how, you know, how that kind of culture and craft is the epicenter on the West Coast for us, it is for you. And then you go to the East Coast for you all, Toronto, for us, you know, conventions in New York or or New Jersey or Boston, and, um, and and it's more of the suits. It's more of the uptime, more of business and investment <laughs> first. And so it's so weird how there is a bit of that mirror. But um, you guys are doing some fun stuff up there and, you know, getting creative with the genetics. And obviously, you know, my gosh, I've run into Canadian LPs in South America, Australia, across Europe. <laughs> I mean, there's plants in the ground everywhere from Sydney to, to Portugal to Colombia that's uh, being run by Canadians. So I think you guys have... To your point, the home at home, I think there needs to be a little bit of revising, just like California, which is why I say yeah. so similar. What scares me is you guys are copying what we did with the with the pre-sealed bottles and all that good stuff. But you know, at the same time, I see that there's a future, right? Yeah. Once we all unlearn this new normal of the CPG methodology, we will get there. Yep, hundred percent. I definitely agree. I definitely agree. And. I think it is going to be, you know, because you think about it, there's very few places where you can taste wine at point of purchase as far as retail, like grocery stores, Trader Joe's, et cetera. No, um, you no, know. no, I don't want you to be able to taste wine at the grocery <laughs> store, but it's I'm pretty cool. Give you the equipment, right? But, but yeah. You go to the deli counter and there's, you know, the ham in the deli counter, you can see it through the glass. Yeah. You know what the ham is. The guy takes that ham and slices that ham and gives you the slice of the ham you bought, right? Yeah, that's what I want. Yeah, I but see, the difference is the ham I want. Porky pig is not a controlled substance, although it should be based on its cholesterol. Okay, but then let's look at another controlled substance that's sold uh, in in a different way. Tobacco. You no know, uh, gambling. Oh, okay. Well, it is addictive. Gambling on a statistical and medical and physiological and psychological average is more addictive and more harmful than cannabis, tobacco, and a lot of other things, right? And oh they're selling it on the radio here as you drive, right? Come to Casino Niagara, fun and excitement. Come have ribs and lobster. It's like, <laughs> why is that okay for your child to hear? But for an age-gated store where no child will ever enter, you can't have on display a bud and say, would you like to buy that bud? Yeah. And it is, and, and you're right, all the markets are different. I mean, out of the 41 legal states, 
There's some that, to your point, you can only see. There's some you can see and smell. And then there's some you can't see, smell, and touch, believe it or not. So we are all over the place. And who knows? We've talked about, you know, the Dems taking over the House, Senate, you know, the Capitol. I mean, it's it's going to be interesting where things move as far as States Act, more Act, Safe Banking Act. I would bet slowly. A lot of things. Yeah, yeah I, I, I would to say, be too. the Debbie Downer. Yeah. I'm, I'm right there I'm with you. I would bet a dollar on slowly. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. No, I still think it's going to be legal or at least the I, I wouldn't say the framework, but the status of legalization or at least decriminalization and descheduling will occur by 2022. But you're right. It's going to be baby Ooh, steps. I was going with 2023, but you're, you're probably more on it than I am. <laughs> no, I have a few connections in, in certain places, but in, in certain signs. Right. When you see, again, people from public sector going to a private sector, especially in a certain, you know, uh, growing space like cannabis, pun intended, you know, there's, there's signs, there's signs of it, but you're right. There's a lot to erase. I mean, it's been almost a century, Mm -hmm. you know, since prohibition. I look at it the same way we did it, right? It wasn't the government who said we need legalization. It was the courts. Yeah. Everyone forgets this, right? Canada made change because of the courts. The courts are really what drove it. Mm -hmm. And that drove public opinion. Right. So until you see public opinion shift, which I now see it shifting in America, right? You're only recently in the last two years have you really seen, even in southern states, public opinion shift. Yeah. Now that public opinion has shifted, you either need to see a massive movement where people say, this is enough. Or you need to see politicians say, we can make money from this and we're in a huge debt scenario. I think you're going to see a combo of both. But because you don't have a massive movement in the states like we did here, it's, you know, uh, I think it's going to take longer. Yeah. Well, it but is. So, I mean, but, but I think it will happen. I yeah. Think you're on the path. Because you sure. all, what, 13 provinces, you know, we have 50 states and plus territories. And, um, you know, I mean, you're right. You guys do have kind of an odd, but like Quebec, let's just call it, you know, they don't even consider themselves Canadian. <laughs> they're they're French North mm-hmm. Americans. Um, so like you guys have Quebec, we have the South, but you're right. I mean, it is, <laughs> some of it's almost, it's it's kind of contradictory because, I mean, I but lived like, in Even Knoxville. our most conservative Canadians were pro-cannabis. And yeah. Some of the most conservative Canadians we're literally the biggest consumers of cannabis before legalization. From a <laughs> you guys are so much standpoint. more open, though. As much you know, and everyone already says, "Oh, the Canadians are friendly and stuff." You guys definitely have, as far as that global image, you have a phenomenal image of being friendly, personable, easy to work with, and stuff. So I think you have the right approach. Speak but again, for yourself, Lance. But, go- for yourself. <laughs> but going back to, I mean, we do have the South, and in I lived in Knoxville, Tennessee, for four years when I worked for Scripps in, in digital media. And my gosh, I mean, there were as many grow operations as there were distilleries in those backwoods. I mean, they've been oh, yes. on the top five of illicit producers. I'm, I'm uh, from the South, years. so I can personally yeah, attest. Know. There's plenty of cannabis lovers <laughs> yeah. in the South. Yep. We just had to keep our heads down a little bit lower because of the really strict laws, you know. Oh, yeah. And yeah. out in California and some other places, it maybe wasn't as bad. But there's been a but lot of weed lovers in the South here. for a long time. Like, yeah, long before time. legalization, up until legalization, guess what the penalty for growing six plants was if you were growing without a medical license in canada my gosh yeah. I, I would think an infraction not even a level of misdemeanor Six plants. Right? well okay misdemeanor life no in canada yes, mandatory sentence of life if you grew 12 oh plants God. it was a double life sentence to run concurrent Wow. So you guys are a lot more like other commonwealths because Australia pops to mind because Australia is that ridiculously strict. And but that so, was before legalization, yeah, right? Yeah, now that yeah. we have legalization, like, so that's how I look at it. I'm like, fuck, I don't want people to go to jail for a plant. 
that's the one thing I don't want, right? Like, no, so exactly. I don't even care if the weed's bad that they're selling legally. <laughs> now people aren't going to jail for weed out of Mexico. A plant. <laughs> yeah, for sure. No, true. No, that's huge. Yeah, that's huge. But you're right. It, it's it's a matter of changing that stigma. And I've talked about before. You know, rather being at a, a show in Santiago, Chile, or a show in uh, Prague in the Czech Republic. Both of those, I remember, they had temporary daycares for children because their parents were coming to the show because they were working because they have a business. They were mm -hmm. selling wares. They might have been a shop that was, you know, whatever. But that was just an eye opener for me to go, wow, the stigma didn't penetrate as much here as it did, again, in Commonwealth countries in Western civilization where yeah. it, it was so taboo and it was, oh, my God, keep the kids away, which is funny. I mean, we talked about that even even me growing a plant in the backyard. You know, I mean, I just never worry about my son. You know, it it's a it's harmless right. as a plant. I mean, actually, it's healthy. To be quite honest, if you can afford to squeeze an ounce of fresh cannabis a day, oh my gosh, that'd be phenomenal to throw in your smoothie. But of course, it, it's not from uh, psychoactive. There's there's nothing there. Mm -hmm. It's not decarb. You know, for sure. But there is just that fear of oh my god, it's a devil's plant and reefer madness, which we definitely played out that term in reference to the craziness years ago. <laughs> But um, but glad to hear that it's moving in the right direction, Jonathan. And and what's on the horizon for you, my friend? Are you getting ready what's for another season? What's on the horizon season? for me? Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm teaching at Centennial, so that's sort of my main focus. And then beyond that, I run a company called Education Station, and we oh. just got into doing educational uh, cannabinoid testing. So, uh, you know, if somebody has done their home grow, and wants to make some edibles, but doesn't know how strong that the flower they grew is, uh, we can test it for them <clears throat> oh, how cool. and walk them That's through really the calculations cool. of making their own edibles. That's amazing. That is such a valuable service too. That's awesome, Jonathan. Because it is tough. I'm doing, I, I'm not bad. I, it's fine. I hated math. So I wanted to be an architect <laughs> when I was little. And then I found out how much math and how much you had to be in love with numbers. And I hated numbers then until I got into sales. And then I love numbers. Uh, but the man, math part's super hard. But if oh my gosh. you it, you might not even know, you know, yeah. what you're starting with, right? That's it. I mean, the stuff that I brought in, that's why I told me, I mean, she, she, I mean, obviously we're in California. She smokes fire. And I was like, hey, this mild. I mean, I can just from consumption tell you it's like 12 to 14%. It's really mild. It's definitely at least 10, 12 points below the national average. Um, but again, like the I way- I had a guy bring know. me some CBD flower, right? He was uh -huh. like swearing to me he got some uh, Charlotte's Web. And mm -hmm. he's like, it's the best stuff ever. You won't get you high. I tested it and it came back at 10% THC, 0% CBD. Oh, you're kidding. So it didn't get him high, I guess. <laughs> well, it was only 10%. Yeah. Was, oh, my gosh. You get flying awesome. high, but you might get this feeling of relaxation, mm -hmm. which oh, is where I have a big problem with the CBD advertisement on uh, around cannabis. A lot of people, you know, make statements about CBD as if it's, you know, this cure-all, as if it's this great thing that can do everything for you. But it can't. It has specific uses that are freaking incredible. But it's not everyone's uh, magic pill, just like THC isn't everyone's magic pill. Absolutely. And, yeah. uh, you know, uh, in this scenario, this guy wanted to not get quote-unquote high, but he was getting high. He just <laughs> didn't know what getting high was. And that's what education's all about. We need to look at the problems and figure out a way to communicate them and uh, get people what they really want, not what they think they want. Yeah. And how, and, and to your point, the education of how you, because again, going back to what I brought in, like this is very much, 
it's it's a relaxed shoulder, still being able to focus, still having the energy and, and you know, that, that being able to function kind of approach versus the, my gosh, just blew the top off and heading to the skies and throwing on a little Jimi Hendrix and staring at the walls for two hours, you know? So, but you're right, educating people on, you know, you need to know what you want. And again, oh my gosh, we've, remember that, Jonathan, when CBD was coming up, it was right around, it's pre-farm bill, it's like 2017. And that's exactly the the conversation was it's you can't just do CBD alone. Like you need at least a minute percentage of THC to help with penetration through that fatty layer. Like you need it, it needs to be, you know, exactly, exactly for the uptake. Otherwise, but, but what's happening to point. your system? My point is, is that some people say they want CBD and they say they don't want to get high, but they actually do want to get high. But the, the yeah. terminology getting high is where they run into the problem, yeah. right? Yeah. I think we just need to change people's language. It's not about getting high. It's about treating your symptoms. Getting medicated. Symptoms Going, we just went that full you circle. Need euphoria inducing products. <laughs> yeah. Then what's the problem with that? Yeah. No, I think that goes back to the whole, to your point, to getting medicated, which again would catch me off guard because. You know, people so wouldn't use that term even when it was medical in California, even when it was medical in Colorado. You know, it's like it was just something that, um, oh, yeah, I'm going to go smoke. I'm going to go get high. I'm going to go get lit. You know, whatever. People still feel back to that slang term that they mm-hmm. grew up with. So it's quite interesting. But, man, we definitely appreciate it. It's always, always good catching up. And, um, yeah, so you can't say, what, do you have any genetics for, for this season? I mean, you're just a few months away from sowing the seeds here. <laughs> <laughs> Do yeah, tell. so this summer I'm going to change it up. Last summer I grew only Holy Smokes Seeds Genetics out of the UK. Uh-huh. And this that. time I'm pivoting a little bit, a few countries over, and going with some Amsterdam Genetics. Really? From mm. our good friends at Super Sativa Club. Oh, okay. I'm going to grow, okay. some, yeah, I'm gonna grow some Carl's Old School Haze. Oh, nice. no way. Going for yeah. the hazy, the heady they sent haze. Send me some seeds, so nice. You know, nice. I can't say no. <laughs> I hear you, man. I, gosh, I think you were around when a certain friend uh, shared some seeds from South Africa, and they were, I think they were, they were um, backbred, but still, they were um, as close as you get to a pure land race as far as Durban poison. And I just didn't have the time to grow them, and I didn't want to archive them, so I gave them to a few well, friends. Then, and I, you know, uh, the story. At Carl's old school haze because it's a pretty crazy story. No, no, that's a, it, it ties back to you, by the way. Oh gosh, don't <laughs> is this something that ties into Captain Hooter too? <laughs> um, no, actually, it ties okay. into our good friend Benny. Oh, okay. Well, let, okay, let's get to that story. I'll get back to mine really yeah. quick. <laughs> okay, really fast this. story. So we were at Spanibus, and I was sitting at the booth, and remember Benny came up to us and he goes, Jonathan. I found this secret dispensary at Spanibus. I'm like, what? He goes, you need to go to this He's a funny German. dispensary at Spanibus. He's German. And I'm like, okay. So he gives me this card. He goes, you got to find this booth that's brick. And you got to knock on this door and give them this card and you'll be able to get in, right? So I'm like, okay. So I find the door. I knock on it. They go in. They're like, oh, did the German give you the card? I'm like, yes. The German did give us the card. So it turns out it's uh, Extractor and Super Sativa Club and the High Flyers oh, Club and gotcha. Carl's Old School Haze. And gotcha, so remember gotcha. I bought that dry sift bubbleator yep. isolator hash and brought it back. It was incredible. Yeah, but you're the on the story is, is that it was a, a haze. They got raided, and one plant was left by the cops in the corner. Jeez. One tiny little plant, and it survived. And 35 years later, 
That's Carl's old school haze. Oh my gosh! Wow, you love those stories. That's like that's like <laughs> Bubba pre ninety eight or something, you know, right there. That is, <laughs> yeah, oh, man, my gosh, pretty much my Northern Lights, which I love. So that's what I'm growing this summer, my friend. Well, that is cool. Well, I hope it does as good as the the seeds I was talking about because I gave them to one friend, to my buddy Johnny Ray of of uh, of a uh, farm up in NorCal, and I'm like, hey, did you end up popping those? He sends me a picture of these. 12 to 14 foot tall plants. <laughs> I was like, is that, he's like, yeah, definitely exotic genetics is how I'm going to class this one. But man, I'm looking for, I don't know what I'm growing this year. I do, I know I'm not doing auto. I, I, you know that I mistakenly popped a few last year and I'm just old school. I just want to do that. Well, make sure to call me to consult before you I pop know, your seat. I know I will. <laughs> I know. Get shit for 20 years. Thanks again. We definitely appreciate it, Jonathan. We will keep in touch, my friend. Have a phenomenal 2021. All right, buddy. You too. Be safe, everybody, and have a great year. All right. Thanks, thanks guys. Bye-bye. Thank you all for joining in. This has been another episode of Cure to Consumption on behalf of me and myself. You guys have a wonderful week. Good vibes. You're listening to... Hayes Radio Network, Cannabis Lifestyle Radio.